chapter 9 and last week we looked at verses 1 to 19 so today we're going to look at Acts chapter 9 from verse 19 to 31 I'm going to read it and then we're going to take it a verse at a time and discuss if you have questions at any point in time uh Please just note it down. We will have question and answer sessions. We welcome our online participants, online church. Good evening. Okay, so Acts 9, 19 to 31. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus could, couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. So verse 19, it says, afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. You know, from what we read last week, Paul was fasting for three days. He, after his encounter with Jesus on the way to Damascus, and, you know, after he saw Jesus, he went blind. 
we learned last week, and then they took him to the straight street where he was kept in a room waiting for Ananias. And while he was blind, he was fasting. He fasted for three days when Ananias came, prayed for him, and the Bible says that the scales fell from, it was as though scales fell from his eyes. And that's where we, we are taking over this evening, where he says he ate some food and regained his strength. There's a time for everything. There's a time to fast. There's a time to eat and regain one's strength. And in the spirit of the announcement that we had on Sunday, that GWDI is starting, how many days time? <laughs> About 10, 12. So start preparing your minds. Because after those 21 days, you will eat some food. The scales will fall off your eyes and my eyes and will regain our strength in Jesus' name. You know, I was speaking to one of my beloved sisters just last week Sunday. And we were having a conversation. I said, you know the things that you did that made that helped you encounter open doors. And she said, oh, I didn't really do anything, no. I said, you didn't do anything, but every time we fasted for God, we do it again. Did you fast? She said, yes. Are you serving in the house of God? She said, yes. I said, now you know the things that you did. So sometimes you may not even know it, but during those seasons of fasting, of waiting on God, the scales fall off and we see clearly and we can proceed on the assignment that God has given unto us. Okay, so the next verse, it says, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Again, for every verse in today's reading, there's a lesson or two. He stayed with the believers in Damascus. He didn't immediately after his conversion say, oh, let's go, let's do it, let's do it. Two thrives ago, no, three thrives ago, uh, the discussion was around Simon the sorcerer and how he, because he was a new believer, he was so eager to serve, he wanted the power before he even knew the owner of the power. And we can see here that Saul didn't make that mistake. He stayed with the believers. He learned the ways of God. He learned the, the things of God. He stayed with people who had the knowledge of, of God. He stayed with believers. So now more than ever, it's time for us to stay with the believers. What the devil wants is to isolate believers and to deceive people into thinking you don't really need anybody. You can survive by yourself. You can do Christianity by yourself. But God has created us for community, for commonwealth. He has put something that you need in me, and he has put something that I need in you. And it is in staying with the believers that we can get these things, access them, and be strengthened for, for the journey and for the work ahead. As we will see today, the journey was a very tough one actually for Saul but again and again because he stayed with believers he was able to, to, to have escape routes and he was able to achieve 
purpose. Then the next verse says, immediately, that's verse 20. Immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is indeed the son of God. That message that Paul preached that day is the same message that we're still preaching. It's the same message that is for all of us to preach and to own that Jesus is indeed the son of God. But beyond that, what I would also like us to pay attention to in this verse is when he says immediately. Immediately he began preaching. He didn't wait. He didn't wait. You know the problem about waiting? Waiting feels like action, but actually it's inaction. You're waiting, I will do it, I will do it, I will do it. And I, I mean, procrastination is uh, <laughs> everybody, like everybody goes through procrastination. Like maybe God says something to you, do this. You're like such a brilliant idea, such an Holy Spirit in, in inspired idea. Thank you, Lord. I will do it. But do we start to do it immediately? Do we? And some of those things, if we're not careful, actually in the natural course of things, if we don't start to do them, the same fervor, the same fervency, the same passion with which you approached the idea the first day you get it, is actually not the same maybe 50 days down the line. And that's something that we need to learn about this thing called passion. Passion is not, it's not an asset that remains the same. It dwindles. It depletes. If you are passionate today about something, we have to feed it. You have to feed that passion with action so that it can remain fresh can remain fresh. And that's one thing that Papi has taught us again and again, that you have to see the vision again and again. If you're leading the people, you have to sell the vision to them again and again so that the passion will be revived, refilled. And so it says, Paul immediately started to teach. What is that thing that God has asked you to do? Have you immediately started to do it? whether it's in what you do for God. In fact, everything you do, you're supposed to do for God. So even if it's in your career, in your vocation, in your business, what is that thing? Or in the preaching of the word of God, in, in evangelizing, in the department that you serve in, in church, in the things that you do for God. What is that thing that from today you know how we used to say, I commit. Now is a good time to commit and say from today, I will immediately, and you should, you should write that down in your book, that thing that you want to immediately start doing. And for everyone whose passion has dwindled on assignments, we pray that God will renew your fervency in Jesus' name. That today we will find renewed passion to immediately do the things that God has placed within our heart in the name of Jesus. Then look at this, this guy, this uncle called Paul. He started preaching and saying he is the son of God. Let's say last week, this same guy was saying 
who are the people calling Jesus the Messiah? Bring them out. Cut off their heads. Stone them. Kill them. Then this week, he shows up again. As in, he has zero self, as in, what do you call that thing? Like, he didn't take himself too seriously. He was like, yeah, I was wrong. I was wrong last week. Now I'm right. You know, sometimes people are like so, you know, self-importance, air of self-importance. You're like, ah, let me just wait. Too, because, you know, last week I had said something. If I say a different thing this week, they will just be saying, ah, ah, why is this person so inconsistent? No. And that's one of the things that we do here. Like, we're like, we take God seriously. We don't take ourselves seriously. So if this is what God has said, we say it. We do it regardless of what impressions people will form. So the guy was like, Jesus is the son of God. And further down as we read, we will see that, you know, God reveals us to ourselves in part. So we, when we met him, he was Paul the accuser of saints, the one that crucified saints, the savage, literally. And then we met Paul, the convert. He gave his life to Christ. And then we met Paul, who went about preaching. And before, like, by the end of this passage, we met Paul, the apostle. And if God shows you the next version of yourself, you should own it. You should say it. Because it is in the doing that we become. If when he was converted and he was meant to start preaching and saying, Jesus is the son of God. If he said, let me wait. They still know me as Paul, the, the savage, the accuser of brethren. If he didn't open his mouth to say, Jesus is the son of God. Everybody is still going to believe that he is the one that crucified Christians. And he won't be able to progress and to move forward in his Christian journey and in his growth, you know, spiritual growth, life growth. He won't be able to move forward. It's just going to be going around in circles. In, inside this room, he may be studying the word of God. He may call believers to teach him more and more about it. But if he doesn't go out to witness it, if he doesn't represent God, in public and to people, then, I mean, God says, like, if you're proud of me, I'm going to be proud of you. If you witness about me, if you confess about me, I will confess about you to my father. So, he didn't take himself too seriously. He took God very seriously. And we have also learned in these verses that we should not be lethargic, we should be very passionate about the things that God has sent us to do. The devil is not going to like try to convince you that you're not the person that God called you to be. Of course, well, he, he also does that actually. Where he says you, <laughs> who do, they're calling people who can preach or they're calling people who can sing or they're calling people who can evangelize. You want to show faith. Have you forgotten the things you used to do. Have you forgotten what you even did four days ago before you, know, you, you met Jesus on the way to Damascus? 
So the devil will actually come and try to convince you that you're not the man for the job. But if he's not able to convince you, one of the other things that he will do is he will try to make you delay in doing the work. He will make you say, I will do it tomorrow. I will do it tomorrow. And of course, we know tomorrow never ends. So we should be very aware and we should avoid lethargy because it is a very lethal tool in the hands of the enemy. So verse 21, 21 and 22, it says, All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So the Jews could not refute. They couldn't, they couldn't stand to argue with him. His arguments were so convinced. Uh, convincing. His arguments were so convincing that Jesus is the Messiah. And even though they were, they were back talks, people were saying differently, is this not the guy? He, he, he focused on the assignment. He focused on the assignment. They, they read out everything that he used to do, but he didn't even confront them. He didn't even try to tell them, look, he, he, was, a, he, was, a <laughs> he, he was me, but he's not me. I'm a new convert. I'm a new creation. He did even, he was just focused on preaching the word of God and saying Jesus is the Messiah. And there's a lesson there that the time, the, the you that people know now is who you have presented them, uh, yourself to them to be. And if you unveil by revelation a newer version of you. Then you present that person to the world again and again until the world now believes that this is who I am. And so we can't be static. We should, and this one is mostly taught maybe in career circles where they tell you dress for the next level that you want to be. Talk like you are already holding the next position that you want to be in. But it should cut across. It should cut across. When, so for instance, let's say somebody is struggling to pay rent. But God has said, you will lend unto others. And you will own land. You will own properties. And you will even give properties out. In the actualizing of that vision, of course, you have to start working hard and trusting God for the open doors. And when they come, seizing them. But it is also in the behaving, the, in the way that represents who God has called you. Believing so much so that you know what? land that is water uh, logged looks like and how it is different from land that is good. 
you know, the viable areas of town. So we start to behave, believing that this is what God has called me and this is who God has called me. It's like somebody that God says, you will school on scholarships and you're not researching the scholarships in your field. Then you're not acting as if you believe that thing that God has said. And we can have examples upon examples upon examples. But one of, the re one of the signs that you show that you believe what God has said about you is that you start to walk that path and to actually speak about it, learn about it. Just like Saul here. He focused on his focus. He preached the message of Christ. And it got to a point that nobody could withstand his teachings. They could not dispute what he was saying. So our gifts are perfected. They are honed in practice. The more you consistently use the gift that God has given you, the stronger it becomes. He says, Paul, Paul became more and more powerful. That verse, it says he became more and more powerful because he kept preaching. He kept teaching. Okay? Verse 23, 24. After a while, some of the Jews together, they plotted to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gates so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city gate. In the city wall, actually. Yes. And lessons here, again, it's not everybody that's going to, you know, like what you have been called to do or like you, actually. As you, you begin to gain influence, you get on people's nerves. And there are people that sought to kill Saul. They tried to argue with him. They could not win. Then they said, oh, let's kill him. And this may look like a very drastic act. But beyond physical killing, there are also ways that the enemy can come and say, let's kill that gift that is inside of you. Let's kill that calling that is upon a person's life. They will want to quieten you, quieten me. And they will attempt to kill because they did it to, to Paul. So what do we do? He continued doing what God has sent him. And because he had a community of believers... The Bible says he was told about their plot. So he was told because he didn't isolate himself, he was told. Beyond being told, he was helped. If, even if he had the basket, he couldn't have lowered himself down the city wall. This is why we need people. We will find ourselves in situations confronted by issues that you cannot get out of by yourself. And yes, we know that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You and God, you're like this, like really, you know, really close. But there are things that God will not come down from heaven to do personally. 
And in as much as yes, sometimes God is very dramatic and he sends angels literally to do stuff. But he has surrounded us with a community of believers who are to help us and to lower us through an opening. The ways of escape that he has made to help us to escape. So this calls to mind what we have been taught again about the different types of people that we will have in life. You have conspirators, you have constituents, you have comrades, you have confidants, and you have commanders. And we have been told that conspirators, as bad as they seem, sometimes they actually push us into the place that we are supposed to be. Because if they were not trying to kill him, he would remain in that town. And he would just be preaching, preaching, preaching. They can't dispute him. So he rises up to be like the best preacher in the land. But God had better plans for him. And again, he also held on tightly to his comrades. Because they were the ones that warned him. And they were the ones that lowered him uh, uh, from the city wall to escape. So we see Paul, the preacher, escaping to Jerusalem. In the next few verses, we're going to learn what happens when, let's say, maybe someone is in a primary school and they were head boy. Then for some reason, they have to transfer to another school and nobody knows them there. So verse 26 says, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had prayed boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul gets to this new place in Jerusalem. He's not new to him. He, it was from there that he collected that decree to go and kill people. But he's coming back now, a different Saul. He's coming back now. And so they're like, no, the person we know is the crucifier. Don't come and talk to us. So you can imagine that maybe everybody is seated to eat. As he tries to sit at a table with them, everybody on that table stands up to leave because they can't eat with him. They don't know him. Maybe he's tricking them. And they were afraid of him. They literally put him. He didn't fit in. That's the word for it. He didn't fit in. And we see this person called the son of encouragement, Barnabas. He literally went to that table, maybe, and held Saul by the hand and took him to the inner circle and said, this guy is now one of us. You guys, we have to accept him. And in as much as we all know Paul, we all know the apostle, the truth is that the world, the church needs the Barnabases. The ones who watch out for people who don't feel like they fit in. There was an ad that we did during uh, Easter, during just this Easter. And, you know, it was like a conversation uh, between two people. And the guy was like, more or less saying, look, I won't fit in if, you, if I come to church. And the other guy was like, come. 
come, I'll help you fit in. And that's what each believer should be to the other person. You can think of a time when you didn't fit into. And who are the people that helped you? What are the things that you saw that helped you to fit in? Are you willing to be that person for the next person? After church on Sunday, do you even look around to introduce yourself to one or two people? Or do you just pick your bag and go home? How are we doing this community thing? How are we helping each other to fit in? And you know, we have different groups. You could join the workforce. We have groups for the men. We have groups for the women. We have different things that are supposed to help you to fit in. And this is for someone that is saying, oh, I don't actually fit in completely yet. We're here for you. And we can see that Barnabas, he kept a low profile, but he was a high-impact guy. By the time we continue our studies, sometime down the line, he was the one that gave John Mark a chance. When, Peter, uh, when Paul said, this guy cannot go with us, he said, he goes with me. And guess what? By the time Paul was older, he asked for this John Mark, whom he had rejected. So the Barnabases and amazed God needs your gift. He needs that, you know, that encouragement for the people. All right. So verse 28. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them. So now he fits in, stayed with them, preached with them. He was one of them. It says he went preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. By the way, if you have questions, please drop it on the page for people online. If you have questions in the auditorium, uh, please indicate who will take them. So, we have to fit in. And it is not just the responsibility of the church in as much as the Barnabases have been encouraged to make sure you fit in. It is also your responsibility on you to make sure that you fit in so that you can leverage on the strength of the community and you can enjoy the grace that is over the house. And you know, sometimes we relocate thinking that God's eyes cannot reach us where we are relocated to, but God is everywhere and you can serve from anywhere. You can plug in from anywhere. This thing is a hard thing. And God will help us in Jesus' name. So our last two verses, verse 30 and 31, it says, When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. So took him, you see that again, Jerusalem, same thing happened. They wanted to kill him. Again, the believers rescued him. And they took him away from there. They sent him. They sent him. So that word sent was the Greek word exapostelo. And you will see that it sounds like apostle. So this was when they had actually understood the calling upon this guy. And they were like, okay, let's send him. And so they sent him. So it wasn't a go, go, go. It wasn't that kind of sending. It was a go and do the work of the ministry. Okay, and we know that Papi, for instance, is on apostolic mission right now. And that's why we keep praying for him, that the doors will swing open before him. 
and the work of the ministry will be accomplished in his hand in Jesus' name. So our last verse says, the church had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, the church grew in numbers. Some version says the church multiplied. So the church had peace. From when Stephen was murdered and the church became scattered, and not scattered in, in the sense of not knowing what to do, but you know, they were spread about abroad so that they can actually preach the gospel to the Gentiles and the, the different persecutions they experienced. This verse says the church had peace and it gave reasons. It says because of the fear of God and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, they grew in numbers. And, you know, it's just such a sweet thing when there's rest on every side, when there's peace. And it just speaks to the fact that there may be a lot of upheavals in life, but there will be peace at the end of the tunnel. And that's what we should always remember. But the peace is hinged on the fear of God and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. And at this point, before we take our question and answers and Papi comes into the room, um, I want us to pray. And for anyone in the room and online, if you are like, ah, this peace that they experienced, this Holy Spirit that Paul had, that changed them into a different person, I want to experience it. If you would like to accept Christ into your life, or you would like for him to uncover a newer version of yourself to you, I want us to close our eyes and pray. Father, we thank you. We ask, oh God, for anyone in the room tonight, online and here, who would like to accept Christ into their lives, we ask that you receive them in Jesus' name. We ask that you would transform them, that you breathe upon them in Jesus' name. We ask, oh God, that you continue to unveil to us the intentions of your heart for us and will continue to live life that please you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Praise God. So, Papi, good evening, Papi. Welcome, Papi. <laughs> So if we have questions, hey, Papi, good evening. <laughs> Welcome, sir. Welcome, well done. Thank you, Great sir. teaching. Welcome, Papi. So we, as usual, we have questions, sir. I have okay. a question. Uh, my question is this. So looking through the story of Paul and how mm -hmm. we met him today as new converts and by the end of our reading he was being sent out to do the work of ministry but there was so, so much upheaval in between what is that thing 
Or what are those things that one has to be able to hold on to so that one is grounded and one will not be distracted by the journey? Because the journey is it's not smooth. <laughs> and one can just lose direction in the process, not realizing that God has a sending for at the end of it. Okay, so um, like like you said, I mean, the first things first, which is to get grounded, you know, and 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 the way to do that is to connect with the people that are ahead of you, that are, that are, that have been in the work before us, and and to and to just you know learn, you know, Paul actually learned a lot in that period before descending forth, you know, before he began to immediately preach himself. So I, I, I think that just like a building um, cannot go um, very high if the foundation is unable to support it. So it, as high as the building is intended by the architect um, is usually determined the attention paid to the foundation. So if you want to last in this journey, if you want to, if you, if you don't want to fade away like smoke, you need to pay attention to, to foundational things. Foundational things like study. Foundational things like fellowship. Foundational things like doctrine, you know, and understanding doctrine, foundational things like fellowship with the Holy Spirit and getting to know God for yourself, you know, and, you know, and, and, and you'll be fine, really. Thank you, sir. Uh, Follow-up question. Okay. So, there may be someone out there saying, I come to church every Sunday, I join Monday worship, I come on Wednesdays, or I join remotely. Is that enough? Or are there other things? Is reading that again. fresh fire enough? That again, okay. There may be someone out there saying, I actually, and you know, this is linked to what you also said last week about not just learning the learnings of our teachers, but also the spirit of the teachers. Mm. So can mm. someone tick all the boxes and say, because I've been present, it's mm. enough? Mm. Or what do they need to also focus mm. on? <laughs> okay, so I, I, obviously, I've been present is required. So, um, but is, you know, in math, in, in, in there are certain, there's what they call the required conditions and the sufficient conditions so if you want to if you want to prove a theorem for instance you can say okay these are the required but it is not sufficient so so you can have something that is required but is not sufficient of course you cannot start with sufficiency without having the requirement so um but of you need to go beyond that you know and 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 connect to the to the spirit of the house, to the spirit of, of 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 God, and 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 get all you need to get. So, checking the boxes and saying, 
um, I was at um, Tribe, check. I was in, in Church of Sunday, check. I, I pay my tithe, check. I do my governance of wealth, check. I give, check. Wow, fantastic, you know? Those are like, okay, fantastic, you know? But what is not adding another thing to do, it's, it's more of a positioning of the heart after you have done what you need to do. So, so many times people do things and they are just legalistic about them. So someone comes to me and says, oh, pastor, oh, I'll be praying, I'll be fasting, I'll be doing fast, I pay all my tithes. And I'm listening and I'm like, when you were doing it, why were you really doing it? Were you really doing it to check boxes? Or was it flowing out of a place of covenant, out of a place of, of relationship? If it is, then it can never fail. Absolutely and totally. You know, if, if, if it is and you're, and you're having a, a challenge, don't worry. It's, it's a, everybody goes through that season. You're going to come out on top, you know. But if it isn't, then you need to reposition your heart, you know, uh, properly. <laughs> okay, I don't know if that helped. Yes, sir. It, it really helps. And you've also addressed the people who want to do the sufficient without doing the required. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't even begin to talk about doing the sufficient, you know, or uh, entering into the sufficiency of, 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 of the proof if you have not even done the, the required, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, sir. Do we have questions in the house? Okay, we have two questions, but I have one more before okay. <laughs> we take them. Uh, so, to, to, we, we learned about Barnabas and how he was low profile but high impact. And, you know, comparing with Paul, Barnabas may not want to come out actually because Barnabas may have taught uh, the Pauls have the spotlight on them. But if Barnabas had not handheld Paul and presented him, literally oh. opening the gates for him, Paul may have, I mean, we, we may not have the Paul that we all now uh, knew. So oh. how, what, what, what brings a person into an awareness of their powers, of their, of their inbuilt you taught us nature and nurture. What, what brings a person into that place where, that, where it sits well with them and they can operate from their genius places? And how okay. can, what do we do to be like that? Okay, so uh, it's, it's, it's more than one question that you're asking <laughs> together. <laughs> you know, can, can you hear this sound like a siren sound? A little, yes. A little bit, yes. okay. I hope it's not distracting. Not at all, sir. Not at all, okay, fine. Okay, so um, to the first and the obvious one, which is um, Barnabas needed to carry Paul on his shoulders, basically. So Paul actually stood on Barnabas' shoulder and Barnabas's reputation and Barnabas's influence for the church to accept him. So 
Barabbas brought him. So because of that, the strength of, they know Barabbas, they trust him, you know. And because of that strength, Paul could ride on that. Now, I mean, Paul could never have fulfilled his potential without Barabbas. So, and that ties to the, the, the second part of it, which is what, uh, it looks like a different question to me, which is how do we fully maximize our, our potentials? You know, we all, I can look at different areas of my life. We all need someone that will open that door. That's how God has wired it. You know, you can call it destiny helpers. You can call it however you want to call it. You know, if I think about my professional work, ministry, in even being a pastor at all, you know, the pastor's call came and said, come, you can, and its influence really, I mean, it was a game changer for me, really, you know, and on and on and on, I mean, to even Gosfabry House as it is, HQ, to all the, you know, the, the, the locations, even how we got into Costa Rica, it was someone that brought me and said, listen, this man, you know, and from there, boom, now we may never even hear about the person anymore, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and, and, but it doesn't matter because if, you know, praise God, glory be to God. And I can also think of countless number of instances where God has used me to hope, open the door for people, release people, and give hope to people, you know, for their next level. So yeah, you, you can be, the, you should think of being that person that can help the other person um, into their next level in God. Yeah, I don't know if that if I left out anything. <laughs> yes, sir. It's it's perfect. Okay. It's perfect. Thank you, sir. So we will take our questions. Good evening, Papi. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. So we Good evening. have three questions so far. The first one says, how do you show your family you are a changed person? The world accepts you, but it's hard for the family to get past who you used to be. What can one do? Okay. <laughs> Papi, I should attempt it. Please. <laughs> then I will, I will see if... <laughs> So even from our reading today, we can see that at a point, in fact, when Saul was sent out, he was sent to Tarsus, which was his hometown. I think sometimes we focus on impressing our families first and, you know, just getting them to agree that there's oil on our heads. But even Jesus he was told that, well, is that not the carpenter's son? So I think maybe we can focus on the outside people who accept us. Why we intercede for <laughs> <laughs> until they see it. If they see it, Papi. <laughs> okay, I mean, uh, uh, thank you, uh, Pastor 
color. Um, I think that while obviously what you said is true, I mean, you know, is this not Jesus, the capital son? A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown. A prophet is not without honor, except among his family members. However, if you check God's pattern, God always starts us from our Jerusalem. God, you see, the, the challenge we have, we, we think it is on us to convince Jerusalem. No, it is not. It is just on us to declare that message and to, like you said in, in the teaching, to, to present this is who I am and this is what I stand for and this is how it can benefit you. That is all we can do. But because of our love for Tarsus, in the case of, of Saul, of Jerusalem, our Jerusalem, we want to put the message into their head. We want them to accept us by force. <laughs> we want them to, you know. But, but God hasn't sent us to do that. In fact, God expects us to anticipate lack of honor when we go there. But he still sends us there anyway. Jesus' brother, James, Jude, and the other ones, they didn't give their life to Christ. They didn't, they didn't become Christians until Jesus died. But Jesus declared his message and went on. He recruited the people that would follow him. He recruited John, his cousin. He recruited uh, Peter. He recruited Bartholomew. He recruited uh, Thaddeus. I mean... He did not insist that James, ah, you are my brother. You have to follow me. I will leave behead. If you don't follow me, I will all have it. No, 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 no. We waste our energy on trying to yeah, carry our family. And no, they will come. They will come. You just keep growing. You just keep getting bigger. You just keep getting stronger. They will come. However, it is God's pattern to send us first to our family, our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, before the ends of the world. You must be able to um, embrace the rejection of your Jerusalem before you can experience the celebration of the rest of the world. If you don't know what it is to experience the rejection of your Jerusalem, you may even struggle with the celebration of the rest of the world. Wow. I'm sure the person has the answer. Even me, I have my answers. Wow. Thank you, Prophet. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Okay, the next question says, would you say church growth is tied to walking in the fear of God? If yes, why do churches who walk in the fear of God, if yes, why do churches that work in the fear of God not yet experiencing church growth? Okay. Do you want to go? I think, okay, maybe you should go, Pastor Buki, first. <laughs> first attempt. 
then you yeah. you would ah i i think there's a i think there's a pattern in the way god grows churches and you know there's there's i think some of the places we first read they said god added to them daily and then we have this place where it says god multiplied them and honestly i've learned to believe that it is it is in the numbers because we want to reach the end of the earth for Christ but we don't look at the numbers to know if we are fulfilling God's plan or if we are working in line with what God has sent us to do or not so when this church for instance there's no way that he said they were not working in the fear of God. That's why they were being persecuted. They were working in the fear of the Lord all along. But it was at this point that God gave them peace. So maybe it's because they needed to go and spread the gospel first and then come back and multiply in Jerusalem and the other places. But I mean, happy <laughs> rescue. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're right. I mean, I mean, if I'm to add anything, I, I just want to read that passage of scripture that um, um, uh, must have triggered that question um, in, in Acts um, 9 that you read. I think it's towards the end. 31, sir. 31, okay. 31 says that the church then had, now listen to this, listen to this carefully. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It also grew in numbers. So my brother or my sister, there are many dynamics at play here. So we see that the church multiplies in the time of peace. But the church is depleted in the time of persecution. Now, two components of the church, the corporate church and the individuals that make up the church. In the times of persecution, the corporate church appears to be depleted. In other words, their numbers are reduced. They are scattered. Like Pastor Bukola said, it, it doesn't mean they are not in the fear of the Lord. So, so we don't look at the attendance and numbers and determine whether you're in the fear of the Lord or not. Churches your ch go through different seasons. So the church you are referring to may actually, they may have the fear of the Lord. It doesn't mean that they would that's the season they are in. Anyway, back to the story. So, the corporate church in the time of persecution will appear depleted, right? However, it is in the time of persecution that the individuals that make up the church grow deeper. So, while those individuals are growing deeper, the church, the numbers, the, it appears that people are just scattered and everything and everything. 
the people that don't know God will fade away. That is how, in fact, it's a cleansing process. That's how you know the people that are real disciples. You know, people will say, oh, Raka Dede, Raka Dede, Raka Dede. When fire comes, everybody will go. It's only the people that mean Raka Dede to Jesus that will remain. Those people will grow deeper while the church appears to thin out. Now, in the season of peace, when the season of peace comes, it is on the back of those people that have grown deeper that the church now grows bigger. Now, now the church corporately appears to grow bigger, but guess what happens in the seasons of peace? The seasons of peace, comparative to the number of attendees and members of the church, the church members actually become more shallow. They become, they grow thinner. So it's a cycle of persecution and peace. Persecution and peace. Persecution and peace. What should be constant in that cycle is obviously the fear of the Lord because that is what makes happy. You're a Christian because you fear God, you love God. You know, so, so but the dynamics of church growth is way more complex than um, this church fears the Lord or this pastor is a holiness pastor and his church is not growing. That one is a, you know, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's more complex than that. There are many things at play. So even in this scripture, it says the church then had peace, then became stronger. Church becomes stronger in the time of peace. That's why we need to pay for the peace of the nation you are in. So churches become stronger in time of peace. But when churches become stronger in the time of peace and then become bigger in the time of peace, then churches inadvertently, individuals of that church, of churches, you know, the, the two components inadvertently become at ease in Zion. Inadvertently become complacent. Inadvertently become weak. Then that obviously gives birth to another crisis. So. Thank you, sir. So can we then say that in the time of peace, the people who had gotten deeper are now supposed to be like the Barnabases, the, the sons of encouragement who help the new harvest that has come in to fit in and maybe to even grow depth. 100%. Okay, sir. 100%. Nothing to add, yes. So they are the ones that will now um, be the rallying point and, and the glue for the people that God, is, God is himself is adding and multiplying in the church. Thank you, Papa. So our last question. Okay, we have two more questions. Okay. In verse 27, was it because of Barnabas' testimony about Paul's encounter that made the apostles accept him? What if Paul had a personal encounter when no one was there? Will the acceptance be the same? <laughs> so we have been told tonight that it's not even just what Barnabas said that Paul encountered that made them accept him. 
but also Barnabas's good standing. He had built his, a reputation and influence within the church. They know him that this guy is not going to bring something that is not real to us. And I dare say that Paul, he, he didn't sound like the kind of person that even if he was alone in a room, when he had his salvation experience, he sounded like the kind of person that would come out and say, come, everybody listen. <laughs> you were not there, but this Jesus came to me and he said and he said. He saw Jesus. The other people knew something was going on. They heard, but he's the one that had the encounter. So, it's not just because it was if an encounter or that everybody heard. I think it's a number of things. Okay. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, uh, so um, it also it shows us how God works. I mean, there are a lot of moving parts that make everything work together. So Paul's experience can be legitimate and real. However, if someone with influence does not authenticate it and say, this guy is legit, it's not going to go anywhere. It will be like the wisdom of the poor. It will be like, you know, the Bible says that the wisdom of the poor, it is still wisdom, but it is not heard. There's no voice to it, you know. But when it is combined with someone that has a voice, it gives and brings that wise person into play. And of course, um, it becomes um, more beneficial. Sir, what does a wise person, uh, a, a, an influential person, a gatekeeper, see in the next person that makes them put everything that they have sweated for. Of course, that they also got by grace, but they are oh. putting the hard work for. Yeah. Because sometimes the younger generation is looking at it and like, you can open these doors for me. But there's something, there are things that the older generation is looking out for before they can say, okay. So for that younger person, what do they need to pay attention to? Maybe you should start by <laughs> answering that question. <laughs> because I think you know the answer, you know. I, I, know, I know a bit of the answer. Okay, let's, let's hear it. So I would say, I would say that God sends people to people. I would say that it is God that mentions our names to people. But I will also say that there are, there are tests that God puts us through to make sure that when our names are now being mentioned, we don't put the name of God into disrepute. So he would have taken us through a process. I would say that humility is key, not being full of ourselves, knowing that 
it's actually a very frustrating place to be in, to have skills, so to say, but to feel like one is hitting one's head against a wall that just seems like it's not going to move. But that if we combine perseverance in the things that we're sent to do with wisdom, just wisdom, just just being what your bad people will call omoloabi. And I don't know, I don't know if I know the English for that one. Well being. <laughs> yes, just being well behaved, beyond being a great Christian spirit field, just being well behaved. Mm -hmm. I feel like that can actually be some of the things that opens the doors. Absolutely. Absolutely and totally. So God it's God that mentioned people's names, you know. I mean, there are people that I just wake up thinking about, you know, and I pray for them and I'm, I'm and I'm praying for them and I'm like, okay, what about this person? Then all I do is just send them a message, you know, and you know, and and greet them. So hey, yeah, God mentions um our names, people's names to influential people, and that is that is that is big. And one thing also we need to realize is that um, influential people, they, they cherish and they value their influence. You see, one thing that I've seen younger people don't understand is that they, they don't value this influence. They think it's just, <laughs> you know, so, so um, and the influential person will be more comfortable if he sees, because even God, God is not prodigal with his power. God is not prodigal with his power. God is not prodigal with his influence. So, um, Paul was saying to Timothy, lay hands suddenly on no man. What that actually means is don't commit authority to people quickly. Be very slow to committing authority to people. That's what Paul was advising Timothy. Why would Paul advise Timothy that? Because he's got his fingers burnt, you know. He's got his fingers burnt. You you trust people and you you open doors for them, then they come back and they bite you. So many times leaders have seen a lot, and while they will open the door, they want to be sure that you are worthy, you know, you are worthy of that opening. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Yes, yes. We can clap. Thank you, sir. So our last question for One today. More, just give me. Okay. <laughs> Leave it less questions. Okay, so um, question five. Was Paul's bold nature in play when he began to preach or being with the believers made him know it was the next thing to do? Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Maybe it's both. Maybe it's both. I mean, some, thing, some things come naturally to some people. So maybe preaching came naturally to him because of his nature. But also, being with the believers would have given him courage. Because he won't feel like he's alone. 
you will feel protected. Remember that the people that he's confronting now, they used to be his allies. They used to be his close friends. They used to walk together. And so now he's their enemy. But because he has new friends around him, that may have given more boldness to him to be able to preach. Uh, that's what I think. Patrick? No, 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 that's correct. I mean, it's a combination of the two. Okay, sir. We're done. One more. Okay, last question. Okay, so the last question says, how do we easily identify a Barnabas in today's church? What are some of the obvious personalities, characteristics we should look out for? Hmm. So I wouldn't even say it's just a set of people that are Barnabas and some people can never be Barnabas. I think that, I think that everybody should at one time or the other, or for all times, be a Barnabas. Even if you are a poor, you should have your Barnabas moments and seasons when you're just, you know, that verse 31 says that we, they grew with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. And then there's this guy that they nicknamed son of encouragement. So he was almost like he was partnering with the Holy Spirit. And maybe he would sit down in one corner and the Holy Spirit will say, see that guy, I just saved him. Go and have a conversation. Help him be rooted. See this other one. Give him some clothes. See that one. Link him up with the person that they need for their next level. So I feel like it's, it, it could be, it could come easier to some people because of their nature, because they are calm or something. But I don't think that it is supposed to be a nature only thing. I think that from wherever we stand, whether under the spotlight or in the congregation, anywhere, we should be able to spot people uh, and be the son of encouragement to them. Sir? Yes, correct. I mean, so we probably we just need to be more deliberate about the nurture part, which is everybody can encourage everybody. So, I mean, find someone, look out for someone, be deliberate. The more you are nurturing it, the more it grows. Thank you, sir. It's been such it's been such an interesting time this evening. Thank you. Okay, so it's time for offering. Time for offering, please. Oh, question. Papi, are you still there? We have another question. Yes, I am. Thank you, sir. Good evening. Good evening. Um, you said that passion dies down when you procrastinate too. But what if your passion dies down by like your environment and by other people? Oh, that is also a thing. That is also a thing. But w w the question is, why does the environment or other people 
feel like you shouldn't do that thing. Because if, if you want to do something and then you feel the environment and other people are killing that passion, then it means you are still not doing it and time is going. But why do they feel that way? Why does the environment feel that way? Is it that it's not yet time? Or is it that from, do you know, from experience, what some people know, they can tell where things are going, how things will end. So is it that? So if it's any of those, have conversations to say, this is how I feel. This is what you feel. Explain to me a bit more. And be open to see what they're saying. That passion, that thing that you want to feed the passion to to grow may just need a bit of, you know, re, re-engineering, restructuring, and you'll be able to, to fly, right? Does that help? Great. Papi? Yeah, that's that's correct. I mean, for the um, for the person that asked the question, I mean, that's the right response for that, you know, <laughs> age thank, group. Thank you, sir. <laughs> okay, so, Papi, over to you, sir. Okay, so as we close today, Father, we thank you. We ask that your presence will go with us. Make the crooked places straight before us. Break in pieces the gate of bars. Cut in sunder the bars of iron. Father, give unto us the treasures of darkness, the hidden riches of sacred places, and let your name be glorified. Honor and glory we give unto you. In Jesus' mighty name we are prayed. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so it is and shall be. Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. So God's favorite house, who are we? We are limitless all the way. Amen. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you.